Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Alright, are you ready for the word tonight? Are you excited for the word? Alright, so I want to be sharing, and in fact I want to start with a question, and the question is the following. Who wants to be powerful person in this life? Who wants to be a powerful community? Just, just Gervis, okay, there's some names going up. All right, all right, so, so obviously and I, I've asked this question to myself several years ago and I felt, but yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave a real dent in this, this world. I wanna re- leave a real mark in this world. I'm, I'm very satisfied with, you know, if, if God were to say to me, um, obedience to, means, to me means that no one will ever know about it. Do you, do you know that sometimes, and often actually God asks us to do things that no one will ever know about. Did you know that? Sometimes Jesus will come to you and he says, do that. And we're like, um, um, I don't know if I want to do that because uh, no one's going to see me, right? And it's just one of those sort of questions to the heart. You know, is, is my motive, is my intent right? Is it about people? Was it about obedience? And so, so, of course, we would want to say that. Of course, there's going to be that great day when Jesus is going to stand ready to receive us, and then he's going to look us in the eye, and he's going to say, KG, um, what have you done? Right? And then we want to hear the words, my good and faithful son. Right? That's, that's what we want to hear, right? Who wants to hear those words? All right? That's, that's amazing. That's what every believer longs for or should be. That is the ultimate, is to hear Jesus saying, well done, well done, my son, well done, my daughter. And so, so that, that in itself should be enough. Someone said recently again, asked the words, asked, asked the question, if everything were to take, be taken away from you, would Jesus be enough? All right, that's, that's a good question to ask yourself often. Say, if, if all of this, all of these dreams, desires, passions, all of these ambitions are taken away, would I still be satisfied in Jesus? Good questions, right? Amen? But at the same time, even though I'm happy and satisfied, I would really like to, if it's God's will, leave a real dent in this world. Really make, and I, I, I put it this way, I said, I want to make an earth-shattering effect into this life. Who wants, to, who wants to affect this world? So we all want to be powerful, right? And obviously yielded to God, obviously sanctified. There's, there's um, different types of power, and we know um, it's very obvious all around us, all around the world, that power corrupts, right? You don't have to look far. You don't have to look deep into politics to know that power corrupts. You can be the best person without the character. You know, you could f- soon find yourself drifting, drifting. And the enemy likes, likes it when we drift. Um, but... But there's a true power. In fact, Jesus says, wait in the upper room, said to his disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit comes and he'll give you power. Right? He will give you power from an eye. Now, the question I want to ask you is Joseph. Who remembers Joseph? The guy, Jacob's son, one of the 12. He was the guy that um, couldn't hold his mouth. Right? Sometimes, you know, God says amazing stuff to us. Sometimes we're supposed to share, sometimes not, right? Sometimes God says something to you, and it's just between you and God, right? You're not supposed to tell it to the world. You're not supposed to put it on Facebook, right? It's, it's precious that he gives to you. And so Joseph made the mistake of sharing something that was precious between him and God to his brothers. What happened? Persecution, right? He was taken out literally by his brothers. They, they, they almost killed him. They wanted to kill him. If, if the 10 brothers had their way, they would have killed him, right? If it wasn't for his oldest brother that stopped and then, then he went to Egypt. Then he was um, in Potiphar's wife's house. Uh, Donovan wrote that awesome song. Who remembers the song at Songs of the Prophets? Joseph, really great song. Go and listen to that. Um, but he was in Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's house, and we know the situation. Um, then he was sent to prison, and there, were the bake, there was the baker. Is it the other guy? The, 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 the server, yes. Yes, I'm just checking if you're listening. Didn't re- I didn't really forget. I was just checking with you. 
that you were um, paying attention. And then what happened then? He was second in charge of the kingdom. Now, my question to you is when was Joseph powerful? When he? When he chose God, okay? When he chose God. Was he powerful in the prison? Yes, right? What did he do? Well, let's, let's ask this question. How did he become the second in charge in the kingdom of Egypt? By demonstrating God's power, right? He had both the baker and the server, the server of the wine. He interpreted the, the, the visions, right, or the dreams, right? He interpreted, and, and so much so, even they forgot, him, uh, they forgot about him, and even later he interpreted another dream. So he had revelatory power. He could see things, he had, he had what we call today prophecy. He could prophesy to the king. So, so he walked in all power, right? He had actual power, right? Of course, when he was in position, you know, people became aware of the power that he already had. Sometimes we look at positions and we think that's where power lies, not in God's equation. In God's equation, you're a Joseph and you're, you're in prison. You have no position, no, um, no one knows about you, no one cares about you, uh, no social status, no image, public image, but you've got power, the raw power of the Holy Spirit. And so at God's time, the Joseph then puts into, gets put into the place of position, right? And then the, the, the rest of the nation and the nation of Egypt and other nations became aware because um, he prophetically led a nation, right? And so if, the, if they went, if that nation wasn't led, the, the Egyptian nation and by implication the Jews, if they weren't prophetically led, they could likely have not existed today, right? There was a massive, massive famine. And they could, maybe if there wasn't that obedience or that intervention from God, there would be no nation of Egypt. And by implication, nation of Israel. So, one man's obedience affected a nation. Amen? He had power, but he had it before he was second in charge of Egypt. Right? He had it inside of him. And so, if you want to know God, if you want to have power, pursue God. If you want to be close, if you are close to Jesus, you reflect who Jesus is. Right? Who is Jesus? He is powerful. Right? He is seated above, right, above all principalities and powers. Every, every ruler, both natural and supernatural, principalities and powers, Jesus is raised far above. And so Matthew spoke about the unseen world. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we've been talking and we're continuously talking about the values of the church. Who can tell me in the evening service, what are the values of our church? Ah, click, blind, switch off. <laughs> don't see, don't look. Okay, yeah, now you got it. Now we're going to see how good your memory is. This is an exam test, right? <laughs> Two seconds, exam test. Okay, now with that closed, who, 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 can, who can say, Christopher, you're going to go for it? Okay, what did, what did, we, what did we specifically call it? Create community, yes, that's the bottom line, but... What, would you, what is the value that we, we coined or that we're using? What's it? Being together. All right. Being together is one. Good one, Christopher. Knowing God. Living with fire. Yes. Intentionally outward and cultivating awareness. Right. So that's the values. The values that we live keeps us together, right, there they are again, right, the values that we live is that which keeps us together as a group of people, it's, it's the vision that pulls us together, but it's the values that keep us together, all right, so it's, a, it's important that we, that we focus on these, it's important that we don't just rush through it and think, hey, that's a nice little thing to say, but that it's real, reality in your life, I love what, what Matthew shared about loving God, loving God, is the first one, knowing God. That's our first value. 
right? But it's reflected in how we live together. We are together. So it's, it's, it's crucially important, right, that our love for God is reflected in our community. And with all of these things, it doesn't just happen, it's cultivated, right? And we're going to come, there's going to be a stage, we, we're not even touching on vision. Everything that we've been doing in church this year is sort of just establishing values in us. We're not even touching on the big stuff, big picture stuff that God is going to give us and, and, and trust into our hands. That's coming. He's first just preparing our hearts, preparing us, getting us in the right place, the right heart, the right motive. And so we've been talking about being together. We've been talking about living with fire. Today we're going to talk about knowing God. And the other two we'll get to later the year. So this is just what we've said um, knowing with God means. It means we value having relationship with, above, with God above all else, and therefore it is our primary value. When someone connects to Jesus in such a way, um, salvation, we stop everything and celebrate such a moment. We do everything in our power to make sure that they are nurtured at this new birth moment. Furthermore, we don't just value that initial experience, but expect to grow deeper in God in heart and intimacy, obedience and worship throughout our lives. We therefore set our time to practice the presence of God's spirit, both corporately and individually, and also, also cultivate a love for the word in study and devotion. We celebrate God's closeness qualities, in other words, friendship with him, him with us, and, and so on. Um, however, we respect his lordship. Or in other words, the fear of God. Now, um, not, just, not only are we saying we celebrate that moment, and those moments are amazing. Still the greatest miracle that can ever happen is someone connects to Jesus. If they, they've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Amazing, amazing. And it will always stay amazing until Jesus comes back. Right? That moment of, of salvation. But, but did you know that God is massive? Did you know that God is big? Did you know that the more you find out, the more you grow into God, the more you discover about God, the more you realize you don't know about God, right? The more you realize there's so much, there's just so much of Him, right? So part of this value is saying, what I have, what I've seen, I'm not going to settle for that. I'm going to press on into more of God. I'm going to search out for more of Him. And I'm going to obey him more, and I'm going to dig into him and into his word. I wanna, I'm on a lifelong journey of discovering God's character. And it's not going out there. It's not discovering him out there. It's walking with Jesus daily, right? Intimacy with him. And that's, that's, just, that's just so precious. So more precious than the things God does in your life is the journey that he walks with you in the process of doing those things and getting through those places. So just a couple of things in that uh, value. Um, we can, we nurture for the young in the spirit. Um, there's an individual and a corporate hunger um, and purposeful growth. And like I read at the end there, we embrace the fear of the Lord. We tremble at his word. Um, his word is not just good news. Oh, sorry, it is good news. It's not good advice. Right? I've been saying this over and over, but it's not that when God says something to you, you think, well, hey, that's nice. That could, that could add a bit to my life. You know, that could make things better. It will make things better. But that's not the point. The point that it's, is that it's God's word, His word to us. It's holy. Do we tremble at His word? We're going to focus on the second one. The second one is that, that purposeful growth. Um, we call it intimacy. Have you heard of that saying, into, into me you see? Who's heard of that? Intimacy. Into me you see. Can God see right into us? Can he see the depths of our heart? Can he see every thought, every motive, everything that the world out there cannot see? He can see everything, right? He's God. He sees right through you. Does he want you to allow your heart to be open to him? Yes, and that's intimacy, right? God can see everything he wants to see. 
But that doesn't mean you sit back and you say, God, you see it, right? Because God is interested in you and knowing you, right? It's like, it's like a husband and wife. The, the husband can know absolutely what his wife is going through and has done everything of, everything of a day. You think the wife is going to be satisfied if the husband at the end of the day says, I see you had a good day, good night, right? I know everything that happens. not going to fly. Girls, ladies, all right? That's, you, you, you want to know, um, how was your day? Did you, did, was it, what did you experience? Tell me, tell me your experiences. Tell me, you know, how did you feel when that happened? Um, because the wife wants the husband to know her heart, right? And God is the same. God could know everything that happened, but he still wants to know your heart, right? And we want that. It's, it's so intrinsically human. Um, it's so intrinsically relational, but we, uh, it's, it's one of those things in our culture and society we, um, we unlearn as we go along. It's, it's actually, I've got little kids, and it's, it's so part of being human as you're a kid. Um, you just, you know, experience life, and you share things uninhibited, right? You just, you just go for life, um, and, and you share your heart. Right, it's amazing. Little kids, they do it naturally, but but somehow we 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 unlearn to be human, right? To relate with God in such a way, reveal um, your hearts to God. We see in Zechariah chapter fourteen, verse sixteen, and um, you'll see the pattern in Scripture. You know, there's the there's the faith and works thing, right? And 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 the book of James says. Um, Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith with works, right? He says, true faith results in works. It's not the fact that your works has saved you, but from a place of intimacy, the natural response is an outflow, an active outflow, right? Something happens from a place of intimacy. Jesus' disciples, they were with him for three years, um, Jesus called them primarily to be with him, right? Not to do things. Once they were with him, Jesus sent them out, right? Often he sent them out to go and do things. But it always was from a place of intimacy. Into me, you see, right? They willingly made themselves open to Jesus. And then you see that from that, and this is the pattern. There's, we live in this place of... Um, we live in this, this war, this real battle that's happening, right? I can, cannot say this enough. There's a battle happening. There's a battle for souls out there in the world. There's a battle for your life. Whenever you take one step um, advancing the kingdom of God, there's resistance. Did you notice that? Okay? It's not, a, it's not a doom and gloom thing. We have all authority. Amen? We have everything that Christ has for us, but... But did you know, if you were to take the first step and there's resistance, I'm not going to go, I'm doing something wrong, you know, it's, it's the king, this thing is not working, you know, this is, this is what not modern Christianity sometimes happens. We take one step and the enemy resists us, then we think, well, we've, we've, we've done something wrong and the world says you've done something wrong. It's not like that, right? The fact that you are feeling resistance means you're doing the right thing. It means you're taking territory for the kingdom, for God's kingdom, right? Do you think the kingdom of darkness, thanks, Jamie, for that word. Do you think the kingdom of darkness will just step back, sit back while you take territory from it? Which kingdom would do that, right? What, what army, what adversary would allow his enemy to just take something from him and sit back? Right? Not the devil. Right? He's a thief. He's a destroyer. He's a killer. Right? He's not going to stand back. And so God has called us to this re reality of war. Right? There's a spiritual war happening. Right? The invisible war, war world. I'm going to talk about it in a second. But, but so as you take this step, there's resistance. Right? And as we go out into the world, we need to come back to Jesus. Right? Jesus is always 
You're either coming to Jesus or you're going from Jesus. He calls you to him or he sends you out, right? But there's always this, this, this returning to him, right? There's always a come closer to Jesus and then he sends you into the world to, to be effective in this world. Then he calls you back to him and then he sends you, right? If you, if you go and go and go, you're going to burn out, right? Um, and if you come to him, you will end up going because he'll be sending you because he loves people. Right? He'll continue to continually commission you out into the world. Um, but it's important that we get this cycle right. It's a cycle of war, intimacy, war, intimacy. Who's, who understood this in the Old Testament? David, right? He was this guy that really, you know, it's, it's, it's so striking that he would sit down, write psalms, these beautiful letters and psalms and songs to God, and then the next moment he would pick up his axe and go to battle, right? That's, that's quite a dramatic change there, right? But that's a, a beautiful picture of the battle that we are engaging with in the New Testament times, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, right? It's, it's, a, it's a war that we're facing. Um, and, and there's something that we call prophetic action. Who knows what's prophetic action? couple of hands. Okay. So prophetic action is this. Moses stands at the Red Sea, lifts up, lifts up his staff. What happens? The Red Sea opens up. Okay. We sang that song, right? You split the sea so I can walk right through it. Did the effect of his hand, the motion, the speed by which he lifted up his hand, did that cause awaken a momentum, you know, that would cause the air to lift up the sea. How he was that powerful. Eh? He could do that. No, of course not. It was the fact that in obedience to God, that he lifted up his hand, God could shift something in the spiritual world that affected the natural world that caused the Red Sea to go open. You see that mathematical equation. There was a real equation. Sometimes we don't understand things. We don't think um, it's, it's um, reasonable. Did you know that there's reason to, to everything that happens in this world, right? Did you know that the spiritual world is, there's a reason and an order in it? God created it. Of course there is. Like with this world, this world is intricately designed. Everything that you look at, if you look at, um, you know, Genetics, if you look at DNA, it's so intricately designed. God had designed that. Why would he design a spiritual world that is not like that? God has put utmost intention. There is no more, there's no being out there or person that, that is more tentative than God, right? Just look at the people around you. God had designed us so uniquely, so intricately. He is so into detail and is amazing in, in that. Right, and so, so we see that this, there's this dynamic. Something that we do in the natural affects the spiritual world, right? We see this consistently in the Old Testament. Another good example is Elijah comes to the king. He says to the king, Elijah, sorry. Elijah comes to the king, he says to the king, strike the ground. Take the arrow and strike the ground. The king goes like this. He says, um, this prophet is serious, right? This is one of those really heavyweight prophets. He rose people from the dead and so on. So if I was the king, I would listen to this prophet. But he goes like this, and he's like, what, what, what's this? What's this arrow? And he goes like, duh, duh, duh. He's not, you know, better do what the prophet says. Duh, duh, duh. He goes like this. Prophet's really upset, right? He says to them, why, why did you just touch it three times? Why didn't you take me serious? I, it wasn't like just a good idea. You see again that, that good idea versus this is the word of the Lord, right? He took it as a good idea. Maybe, let's, let's see, maybe something will happen. We'll, we'll see, right? Now, the, a we'll see attitude doesn't work with God. Amen? God, you know, you're saying this. We'll see. I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, that doesn't fly with God, right? He is the king of kings. Did you realize that? 
did you realize he is glorious? He's amazing. And so the prophet said, you should have taken that arrow and you should have taken it really seriously. You should have struck it 10 times. But now because you struck it three times, you'll have three victories of your enemies and, and, and that won't be enough to, to, to win the war, right? If you took the arrow and you struck it 10 times, you would have completely destroyed the enemy because something that you did in the natural affected something in the spiritual and you didn't believe me, right? And so we as believers, I'll pull it through to the New Testament in a second, but we as believers, and this is something we need to make peace with, that you will constantly, forever in this life, be confronted with something in the natural that does not make sense to your mind. I'm going to say it again. So, just a step back. I love the fact that God has created the universe. He's, he's created what we call, what man calls science. We call it science. God had invented science as we describe it today. I love the fact that you can look at nature and there's these, these breadcrumbs that God has made in the universe that leads to God. Amen? I love the fact that you can philosophically talk to someone and come to the conclusion that God is the most reasonable description of how reality is as it is. I love the fact that you can talk about morality and the sensibility that will lead you once again to God, right? And the converse, if God is not in the equation, you always come back to chaos if you pull it through to its, its end. Any philosophy pulled to its end, if it doesn't include God, it leads to destruction, right? We can have lots of conversations like that. I'm really passionate about that. So even though I'm passionate about that, I've made peace with the fact that God is God. And God in Him is mystery, because we're going to discover him. He's so big. The rest of our lives, we're going to discover who God is and eternity. And for eternity. It's like going to be uh, eternal discovering God. Right? We're going to be in heaven still worshiping him. Worship is not just something we do on earth. We're going to worship in heaven. So it's just like practice. Right? Practice for the joy of discovering more of God. And so... This which you do, make peace with the fact that something in the natural, God is going to ask something. It's not going to make sense to my mind, but when I do it, it will affect change. I am so amazed. I've known God for 14, 15 years, and you know, I know what God can do in those times with Him. I don't call it quiet time. You know, I call it secret time. I call it quality time with God. I know what He can do. I've seen him doing amazing things. I've, I've seen him speak to me. Um, I, I remember last year, six months ago, I stood here outside this property. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even remotely a thing for us to be here. And I felt God said this will be a place of worship. In, in that time with him, there was nothing on the cards, nothing in the natural, no possibility, and we're standing here today. Right? God, God had done something. I've seen many miracles that God would do in that special time. But did you know that? Still, sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what, will, what, will it, what difference will it do? I'm just being honest. Because the flesh in us is at war with the spirit in us. All right? And so you will be confronted every day with the reality of your flesh saying, what's the, what's the arrow going to knock the ground do? Right? God is saying to me to do this in my race. It doesn't make sense. Okay, God, it's okay. Let's, let's move on, right? God is going to ask specific things. We're going to have a mission team. Some of you still need to join the missions. We're going to have a mission team in Cape Town that are going to go around the city and are going to do prophetic action at specific places that God, God's going to tell us to go and do specific things, even on campus, that's going to shift the atmosphere, all right? Because we're partnering with God. And doing it in obedience. If Moses stands in the desert and he lifts up his staff, and God didn't say, say to him, lift up your staff, what will happen? Nothing. Right? But if, if it's in obedience with God, if he's responding to the unction of God, saying to him, Moses, open up that Red Sea. 
Now, that's, that's the other equation. Sometimes we come to the Red Sea and we're like, um, God, you know, you go for it. You know, and we, we're standing around, we're waiting for God. God, um, the Egyptians are coming, you know, and then God says, no, Moses, you open up the Red Sea, right? You lift, lift up your staff. And there's that, that tension that we need to find. I want to go back to Zechariah chapter 14. I think I said it 20 minutes ago. Verse 16. The, the greatest battle, Zechariah, the prophet, prophesies of this great day that there will be a massive battle. Then he says, after the battle, this is what will happen. Then it will be that all the nations who have come against Jerusalem and survived will go, go each year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Living Bible says that in the end, those who survived the plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, to celebrate a time of thanksgiving. And so, again, we see this place of that is the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate. The ultimate goal is to be with the King, right? Even the battles we fight, we fight only for us to return to the King, right? Did you know that Moses went to the Jews in Egypt and he said to Pharaoh, let God's people go to go to the promised land? Is that what he said? Giannis has heard the sermon. He knows the answer. Probably knew the answer before he heard the sermon. Also know the scripture. What did Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that they can worship me in the desert, right? So the goal for delivering the people of God was to get them to Mount Sinai, not to Jericho, right? That wasn't the goal. Some of you are not convinced yet, right? Some of you are not convinced. The goal was to worship God, right? The promised land was a byproduct of worshiping God, right? It's not the main goal. And again, when they got into the promised land, when they did, again, it was, it's first being with Jesus, then it's doing. When they did what they had to do in the promised land, they were still returning to intimacy. You see the pattern, right? So the goal was for the Jews to worship Jesus in the desert. The sad thing, sad thing, is that they came to a mountain, and God was up the mountain. Who went up the mountain? Moses went up the mountain. When he came down, what we said earlier, he reflected the glory of God. His face was shining, right? He was reflecting something of the nature of God by spending time with the king, right? That's what happens. When you and I spend time with the king, we reflect something of his nature into this world, something of his anointing into this world, something of his power into this world. It's just, it's just a natural outflow. It's unavoidable, right? So you can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work myself up the ladder. I'm going to work myself into positions. I'm going to become... I'm going to work on my social image. I'm going to do everything that is necessary so that I can be in a place of influence for Jesus. That's not God. Right? That's not God. God, John the Baptist says it this way. He says, man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from, from heaven. That's exactly what John the Baptist says. You cannot receive anything of a power and authority unless it's been given to you by God, right? So you can scheme and figure it out and try and use your giftings. And some of us are really gifted in the natural. You can try and pull it. Guess what? God's way is the only way, right? You can have it for a while, right? You can, you can fake it a little bit, but you cannot have it because you can only have it if it's been given to you from heaven. That's why God's way is the only way, right? We can, there's many ways, ways to do things, but there's only one real way, right? And that is through Jesus. So I want to invite you 
we are doing um, a series of devotionals. Um, these devotionals are short. So this is, some of those dates are wrong. I'll fix that. Um, this, devo these devotionals are um, exam friendly. Okay? They are exam friendly. They take you literally two to five minutes. And if you're quick, it might even be less. Right? We want to join you. I invite you to join. You might have seen on the small groups that we've sent this out. But we, we're busy. It says 2nd June, but that's incorrect. That's uh, Monday. What's, what's tomorrow? What's the date for tomorrow? 20th. Okay. So not 2nd, the 20th of May. We're going to do a Chris Valentin, Destined to Win, um, you version. So um, just check on your small group, uh, those, your WhatsApps. There's a link to join. Don't just go and join by yourself, but join the community where we collectively, as a community, and we'll continue um, during holiday and other times to collectively pursue. We as a church value knowing God. Amen? It's not just something we do when we don't have anything to do. It's not just something that is a gap filler. Yeah, this is my, my hobby is to, to watch the rugby and your hobby is to watch the cricket and um, your hobby is to, I don't know, fly airplanes and my hobby is to know God. It's not like that. Amen? It's not a hobby. It's our lives. I, I titled the message, the way we live, it's the only way that we can live, right? Paul says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. There's no other option. There's not a nice to have, maybe a little bit of something. It's God or nothing, right? It's all of God or nothing. And that's the only way to live Christianity. Did you know that? It's, it's either full out or nothing. There's no middle way, right? Anything, anything that's middle way, it's not worth doing. It's scary. But Jesus said that. He said, um, if you, you must rather be cold, um, preferably be hot, but if you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. Hard words, amen? Right? It's not a little bit of Jesus. It's all of Jesus. Turn to someone next to you and say, all or nothing. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to wrap this message up. You need to go and worship God in your books. Soon. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 13. It uh, sounds like the same uh, portion of scripture, but it's not. It's two different parables. In fact, I'm coming back to something I shared um, on a couple of weeks ago, you might have remembered if you were there, um, two parables that Jesus tells us, two parables on describing the heart of man. Right, I'm going to run through it. First one is the parable of the barren fig tree. And also he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit from this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. This is a scary word. Scary word and encouraging. Jesus says, We like this fruit tree. This is heavenly um, discussion between two parties, the, the, the keeper of the vine and the owner of the vine. God the Father is the owner. Jesus is the keeper. Jesus says, we're looking at this tree. There's no fruit. There's nothing happening. Uh, or God, says, God the Father says, what do we need to, we need to, you know, there's, there's a lot to do here. And this tree is not producing fruit. Jesus says, I believe in this tree. Isn't that amazing? Jesus looks at us and says, I believe in this, this, this person. I believe in my son. He can do it. I believe in my daughter. She can go places. She can bear fruit worthy of repentance. She can do it. You see the attitude of Jesus, right? 
He believes in us. He believes we can do it. But he says, so what I'll do is I'll nurture it. I'll, make, I'll till the ground. I'll put it on fertilizer. I believe this tree can do it. That's, that's the role of Jesus, all right? Um, God is a just judge, God the Father. Um, he loves us so much, and he wants to see that we are who we are. That's, that's, that's the, the uh, situation. That is the message of the fruit tree, right? If we try constantly to be who we, no, we are not, we don't produce fruit. If we are who we are in God, in other words, who he's made us to be, we naturally produce fruit. It's not like it's working, striving, making myself do this. I just listen to my maker and become who he has made me to be, and then I produce fruit. Then it looks good, right? But at the same time, it's a harsh word because he says, we'll give it one year, right? We'll give it another season, right? We don't know the context. Maybe there were several seasons and the tree's still not making it, right? But he says, I'll give it another season. There's always a second chance in God. Matthew chapter 13. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but worries of, um, but the worries of this life and, and this deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Maybe I should read that again. Um, when someone hears the word, but the worries of exams and the deceitfulness of wealth <laughs> choke the word, making it unfruitful. Right? I love what Debbie said this morning. Did you know you can listen to morning services? Did you know, guys know you can come to morning services? Right? Did you know that? But in any case, Debbie said something powerful this morning. He said, what did he say? <laughs> now it left, left me completely. Johannes, help me. I've got no idea. <laughs> it's completely gone. Okay. Let's, let's go on. Let me read the word again. The seed falling among the thorns... Refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life. Okay, that's what he said. <laughs> the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. So what do you do if you are anxious? You repent. Yeah. Because the scripture commands, be anxious for nothing. Right? So you repent because you have, be what he said, he said it so powerfully this morning. Go and listen to the sermon. He said, You've made it about yourself, and that's where you need to repent, because it's not about you, it's about God. That's why the scripture commands you, says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, right? It's about Him. Make your requests known to Him. You belong to Him, right? So if you find yourself, it's a very practical thing that you do, you say, God, I repent of my anxiety, I repent of my stress. It's not about me. Did you know that God had given your studies, he's given your career to you to reveal his glory? It's not given to you so that you can build your empire. It's not given to you so that you can, you can step through the stages of life, okay? Those are idols. God had given your studies and your career and everything to you so that you could glorify your Father in heaven. That's why it says, do everything unto the glory of his name. That's why you study. And you study with joy, right? The people around you need to look at you and say, wow, it's amazing. They're loving it. <laughs> These people, they are full of joy, studying, and they're radiating Jesus. I want to study like that. How do you do it? How do you do it? You look so light. We're stressed, we're anxious, how are we going to make it? But we're doing it as worship unto God. What we do is worth it. Not because of a little paper that we're going to get. Not because of what I'm going to do with my first salary. It's worth it because it's for Jesus. Amen? We're glorifying Him through the work of our hands. And so three things that we see in this parable. 
I think I didn't finish the scripture. Let me go back. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But then we see the last, last seed. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one producing a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. So hearts are not mathematical equations. Hearts are not task lists. They require guarding and nurturing. Um, they require consistent intentionality. Right, so we see this, these two parables are parables concerning the state of the heart. If you can go to the next slide, Stephen, please. Right, there you see a little bit of equation. Okay, so there's this four, four scenarios that Jesus tells us on the human heart. And so um, you might read that parable of the sow and think, well, it was maybe when I gave my life to Jesus, this is not applicable to me because I'm, I'm good ground because, look, yeah, I'm following Jesus. All right? Sometimes we read it like that. Did you know that his word is living and powerful? Every time you read God's word, it's living. It's alive. It's not an old word. It's alive. It's good news. Um, if you pick up the paper, today's paper, right? It's new. It's fresh, right? If you pick up the paper of a year ago, you could throw it away, okay? Because it's not relevant anymore. God's word is good news, like in the latest paper that you can pick up, right? But it's, it's got obviously life in it, right? And so that's, that's, that's the word. So this could be seasons in your life. Maybe you've received the word, but perhaps you're in a season of worry, anxiety, and stress, and maybe this deceitfulness of riches, riches have come in. Again, you know what to do. You repent. And you say, God, help me out of that season. Don't let the choking um, of, of the, these deceitfulness, the, the, the weeds, take over the, the good produce that you um, want in me. So, there's the firstly, there's the captive hearts. Okay, so now this is, is the only one of those um, scenes, scenarios, or the, the places of heart that the enemy has got access to the heart. Right? It says that... When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand, the evil one comes and snatches it away from that which was sown in their heart. The thief, the enemy, the devil is a thief. But in this scenario, the enemy has access to your heart, right? He has got the ability, and you've given him that access. Who shared the word on the window, Tifa? The window that is open, that's these this group of, of, of people. This is this season. You can open up the window and the enemy has access to your heart. He snatches the word away. All right? The, the other scenes, he doesn't have access. It's just this one scene. And so if you discover yourself in a season and you're like, what happened there? God did that and then it's gone. All right? Or you know someone, this is what needs to be done the door needs to be closed so that the enemy stays out. Did you know that the enemy is not supposed to get in there? Did you know that he's not supposed to have access? Whose responsibility is that? Not Jesus. It's yours. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. We're responsible to open up so that he can come in. We're supposed to close the door so that no one else can come in. All right? That's the first scene. The captive hearts. Do you see it's captive? Those hearts are captive because they, God gives his love and his intent, his word. He wants to send it into our hearts and the enemy comes and snatches it away. What should the state of your being be when you realize that has happened? Angry? Who thinks you should be angry? If God had intended something that would be good to you, that would reveal his heart and his love towards you, and someone takes it away, aren't you going to be angry? If you walk down the road and someone sneaks your laptop, runs away with it, are you going to be angry? How much more that which the king of kings is destined to be in your heart? How much more should you be angry? Right? Much greater worth than the laptop that you carry. Right? You should be furious if you know this is what's happening in your life. 
sometimes what we do is we realize it and we're like, okay, it's okay, God's, God's God, you know. No. The enemy has stolen something that belonged to you. You need to be upset. It's the right thing to be upset. He's the thief. He steals, kills, and destroys unless you disallow him. Unless you say, I, I belong to Jesus, and he's been given all authority. I close that door, and I say to the enemy, you stay away. You're not going to snatch any, any seed that is meant for my heart. This is mine. Secondly, there's the hardened hearts, and then there's the overwhelmed hearts, right? So these two, they play off each other, right? A hardened heart is, let me read there. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. So there's a joyful reception, right? You can imagine how someone receives that word. They joy. It's amazing. Wow. Joy, okay? They receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only lost for, last for a short time. When trouble or persecution come, the word of the word, they quickly fall away. Then the seed falls among um, thorns, refers to someone who hears the word, but worries in life and deceitfulness of wealth. Well, choke the word, making it unfruitful. So, you've got hardened hearts and overwhelmed hearts. The one will always lead to the other, right? If you have a hardened heart, eventually it will, uh, um, the other way around. When you've got an overwhelmed heart, um, it will end up being in a hardened heart, right? We see this playing out with David, Right? He, he had an overwhelmed heart because he had, um, and again, you see the seasons, because David was a man after God's heart. David was like a real worshiper. But at, at some stage, he had allowed his heart to be overwhelmed with the cares of the kingdom, right? He was so concerned. At one stage, it says that the enemy deceived David into counting his army, right? And there was a great, you know, you know consequence because of that. Um, but his heart was overwhelmed, and because he didn't do something about it, right, he didn't um, connect to Jesus as he did in old days, worship him and, and, and um, submit his heart and cast his anxieties onto Jesus, because he didn't do that, his heart eventually turned hardened, right? And hardened hearts is a scary place because we, we close off. We close off from people, and we close off from the king of kings, right? He, he, he doesn't have access any longer to our hearts. And so, in the case of David, he ended up in terrible sin, right? Um, terrible sin, but then he repented. And the first prayer that he prayed, he says, God, give to me a new heart. Give to me a soft heart, a heart that, that receives your word, a heart that loves your word above the things of this world. He had recognized his sin, and he truly repented, right? So, overwhelmed and the hardened hearts, they bounce off each other. So, when you recognize that, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another, right? And he's faithful and just to keep you, right? Conf find, recognize this and speak to someone that you know, that you trust, a friend, and say, I recognize the state of my heart. I recognize... I'm both hardening my heart, or I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I cannot receive God's word anymore. And then finally, we get the place of where the heart is at peace and contentment, and that is fruitful ground. There we see fruit and multiplication, multiplication in hearts. This is the amazing thing about this parable. It says that that which Jesus put into your heart will produce a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. What that means is the human heart is the capacity to multiply. Isn't that amazing? God gives you something. You can take that something and multiply it into thirty. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. That is called multiplication, right? So what Jesus sown you, you said earlier you wanted to be great of great influence in the world, allow Jesus, his seed in your heart to grow, the effect is more than exponential, right? It's incredible, the, the, this, the, that which God can do, right? 
remember the timing. God wants both your anointing to grow, but also your character, right? So you've got great capacity to power, but God needs to keep you in the prison a little while longer. Because he knows if he puts you next to Pharaoh too quickly, it's going to destroy you, right? So he allows your character to grow so that you can handle the great power, the great um, potential to power that he's given you. But the human heart has the capacity to multiply 30-fold, 30 times. Go and make the sounds, right? But that's just the minimum, you know, that says 100-fold. 80 and 30, right? 100 times that which God has shown you. So, if you've received something and you were really blessed, God said something to you and it happened. Isn't that amazing? He can take that which happened and multiply it 100 times. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. We don't need know what God can do in and through us, right? That's why the scripture says, no mind is perceived, right? It breaks your mind. To, to realize what God can do through you, right? It's just up to us to realize what God can do through us. Amen. Will you stand with me this evening? Band, you guys can please come up. Why don't you just bring your hearts before God? Why don't you bring your worship before God? Why don't you bring your studies to God? Say, Jesus, it all belongs to you. Jesus, I surrender all to you. It all belongs to you, Jesus. Some of us need to come to Jesus again. Some of us come to, need to come to Jesus afresh and say, Jesus, I give you my everything. Jesus, I give you my heart again. Jesus, I want to know you and only you. Lord, I've, I've, I've been, I, I got it wrong because I gave you a little something. Jesus, I had some of you, parts of you. But here, this evening, I want to say I want all of you. Jesus, I want all of you, Jesus. It's all or nothing. But the opportunity is here tonight again to say, Jesus, I surrender all. I want all of Jesus. Not Jesus and my career. Jesus and study. Not Jesus and a nice car. Not Jesus and wealth. You see, some of us are in reaction to some hurts that we've had in the past or some bad experiences. And we're saying, God, I'm following you, but I actually am living so that I would not have to go through those experiences again. And so I'm doing everything in my power to steer clear. And Jesus says, I don't want you to run away from the past and to try and determine your future. Surrender everything I want to determine your future, but I want to go back to your past. I'm going to heal you in the past so that you don't run away from your past, so that you're not defined by your past. So this is a word for someone. Your past has been full of trauma. The enemy really came in and he destroyed, he stole, he stole something away from you. And it's really precious. It's almost like it cannot be, you can't get it back, it's, it's over. The enemy says to you that you, you're never going to have it back, it's over, it's been taken. And because of that, it, it determines how you think, how you engage with this life, how you embrace your walk with Jesus because you're just saying, Jesus, I don't want to go back to that. I don't even want to face that. I don't even want to be aware of that. But the good news is Jesus can go back and he can give back that which the enemy has stolen. Behold, he makes all things new. He's able to give back what the enemy has stolen. He's able to restore that which is not naturally restorable. His healing is not natural. He's Jesus. He's Jesus, the one that comes and makes all things new.
And you will not be defined by your past. And you will not determine your future. But your king will determine your future. And he will bring you to a place of wholeness. But you need to be real with the state of your heart. Jesus can only come in if you say, Jesus, come in. The leprous man came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus said, I'm willing. The blind man came to Jesus. He was blind. Jesus said to him, even though he knew he was blind, he said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And only when the man said, I've got faith that you can heal my sight, did Jesus actually go and touch his eyes? And could he see? Jesus is both willing and he's aware, but he needs you to touch the hem of his garment. To say, Jesus, I'm not stepping away until I've received all of my healing. Jesus, I'm going to grab hold of you. No matter what the people think, no, what, no, no matter what the crowd say, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. I'm not going to let my past determine my future. My future is with you, Jesus. My future is at the feet of Jesus. My future is in the arms of Jesus. He has saved you. He's delivered you so that you can stand on the mountain see him face to face surrender the prize that you thought is the prize surrender the promised land that you thought was the promised land he is the promised land he's the object of your affection he's the only one that can bring you true joy and true peace I want to ask while every eye is closed if that's you here this evening and you want to just say Jesus it's all or nothing, but I choose you. Stretch out your hands to the heavens. Say, Jesus, I choose you. Above all else, I choose you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're in this place. Precious work, God. Not a sentimental work, God. But a real work in our hearts. I want to ask, as we just respond to God, that we just step out from where we are. If you're putting up your hand, let's make a stand. Step out from where you are. And come and meet me in front and say, Jesus. I make a stand for you. I don't care how many times you've come to Jesus. But we're going to just have a time of ministry where we're going to say, Jesus, come in. I give you all. You are Lord of all. And now I surrender all. Hallelujah. If you need to be in front, quickly step forward. We need some facilitators, small group leaders, and office you guys can please step forward we're going to just have a moment of of true worship jesus says that those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth the spirit is where we engage with the unseen world the truth is this moment where we stand this is your moment of truth we're worshiping in truth if we can just have some of the leaders to step forward but pray after me I want you to pray from your heart as you're standing in front I want you to stretch out your hands like this and say Jesus Jesus you are my everything I surrender all and I make you Lord of all I make you the king of my life no longer my choices no longer my dreams no longer my future, but your future, your plans, your life. 
come and be my king. I step off the throne of my life and I crown you as the king of my life. Come and be my all. Come and be the lover of my soul. Come and take this heart, this hardened heart, and give me a new heart, a soft heart. I bring to you this overwhelmed heart. I pray stillness of this heart. Be the prince of peace that calms the storm. I bring to you this captive heart. And I thank you, Jesus. You're the only one that can set free this captive heart. I close the door now. I say, come in, Jesus. Be the king of this heart. In Jesus' name.